This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle. And this is the week of January 17th, 2022. Uh, We are... Still with Amy Schneider uh, as she uh, goes deep into her 30s of games. And so on Monday, we have the contestants Jorge Quinones, a front-end web developer from Boston, Massachusetts. Francis Garrison, a high school English teacher from Hemet, California. And Amy Schneider, an engineering manager from Oakland, California, whose 33-day cash winnings total $1,111,800. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, The Lake Show, A Member of the Bands, Weights and Measures, Pre-Fixes, with pre in quotation marks, Arthur Conan Doyle characters, and Holmes and Watson. Despite having just read a bunch of Sherlock Holmes stories, I did not do super great on Arthur Conan Doyle characters. Oh, Yeah. I did know the $1,000 level triple stumper. Irene Adler is known as the woman who outwitted Sherlock, but she only appears in one story, a scandal in this kingdom. Uh, That's Bohemia. Mm -hmm. Nobody attempted that one. And a scandal in Bohemia is in the collection of Sherlock Holmes stories I read. So that one I got. You had the title for. Very nice. And I remembered Moriarty. I've encountered Inspector Lestrade a number of times I just couldn't remember his name Mm. and similarly 221B Baker Street I just couldn't think of in time but Amy had it right on the tip of her tongue oh yeah 221B Baker Street yeah no I like that category it was I did I did okay in it and uh, Holmes and Watson was a category where uh, all the clues were about people whose last names were either Holmes or Watson yep and uh, Ken got to humble brag again about going up against IBM Watson Mm-hmm. Like he always does, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> All right, we got it. Jeez Louise. Daily Double number one comes up in the weights and measures category at the $600 level, and Amy finds it at the 13th pick. Uh, she has 1800 at that point to Francis's 1600 and Jorge's 600 She makes it a true Daily Double and gets the clue. This unit of measure also means to come to understand... She guesses inch. That's not correct. Um, To fathom is what they were looking for here. Right. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Amy's gotten back into the lead with 6,400. Francis is at 1,000. Jorge is at 1,600. And our double Jeopardy categories are 20th Century America, Palaces, International Food and Drink, Illustrators, documentaries and six letter words they should have listened to your deep dive uh and then one of them would have known the two thousand dollar level of documentaries that's true um yeah bombshell is about this austrian-born actress whose credits also include developing a communication system during world war ii that's hedy lamar uh kyle did a great deep dive about hedy lamar you can find that in the uh, in the back catalog. Yes, that's how I knew that one. What that really shows is that Hedy Lamar was also a triple stumper last time. 
yep. <laughs> that she was brought up on Jeopardy. So uh, that shows you that they're going to keep bringing this up and that you mm-hmm. should probably know that she was not only an actress, but also an inventor and a pretty good it's one. It's a super cool fact. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and just above that, have we talked about my octopus teacher? Did you no. have you watched my octopus teacher? I haven't. I want to. Have you? I watched the end of it because I was like, I think I might have been recording the podcast while my wife was watching it. And then we finished up and I went up, like came upstairs and she was just crying, just crying, watching this thing. And I was like, what is, what is this? What are you doing? And she's like, it's so, it's so beautiful. <laughs> and so I sat down and watched it with her and it's very, it's very emotionally powerful. Wow. Okay. It, it's really good. I had expected it to. I had like. I just had heard that it was a documentary about an octopus and that people liked it. And I assumed it was going to be like cool or interesting or surprising, but I didn't. Uh, emotional is not. Yeah. I, I hadn't had not been my initial assumption. Yeah. Like gird your loins. Mm-hmm. It is. It is emotional. Yeah. Similarly, <laughs> similarly, you may find it emotional to watch the subject of the $800. Uh, his life and lessons were the subject of Won't You Be My Neighbor? The great documentary and great human being. Uh, and Amy got that one. That's Mr. Rogers. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the Reverend Fred Rogers, as, uh, as the case may be. I've come around to really liking when it's clear that somebody learned something by reading it and hasn't heard it pronounced as with the uh, the $2,000 level of 20th century America, this naturalist died in California in 1914, shortly before a dam flooded his beloved Hetch Hetchy Valley. Um, that is John Muir. Amy got that one, um, but she pronounced it like Muir or something like that. Mm-hmm, like Muir, um, yeah. Which is, yeah, I mean, that would, that would probably be my first guess, mm-hmm. right? Like it's M-U-I-R. Yeah, it doesn't fit in the English mouth very well, his mm-hmm. last name. So. Yeah. Uh, Daily Double number two is in the palaces category at the $1,200 level. It's uh, pick number 17. Amy finds it. She's at 16400 Francis is at 5000 Jorge is at 3200 She wagers cl- 4000 and gets the clue. The Doge's Palace in Venice is connected to a prison complex by this fateful bridge built around 1600 And she gets it correct with what is the Bridge of Sighs? Mm-hmm. And Daily Double number three is in the illustrators category at the $1,600 level. And Jorge finds this one at the 25th pick. He has 4400 at this point uh, to Amy's 23600 Francis is at 7000 And I guess with 4000 left on the board, it is mathematically possible to get within reach yeah to get within reach um albeit unlikely he wagers four thousand if you're gonna go for it you know like you would really kick yourself if you got to the end and it was like a lot game by four hundred dollars right like yeah um if you managed to pull off the impossible and like if you just made it a true daily double, you know, mm-hmm. um, that would have been the yeah. difference. But yeah. Anyway, he gets the clue. British British surgeon and artist Henry Van Dyke Carter was the man behind the illustrations for this classic 1850s textbook. And he freezes up. Um, he 
makes the connection with surgeon and artist. Um, and he says, what is its anatomy? Uh, and then he runs out of time. Gray's anatomy is the uh, is what they were looking for here. So unfortunately, he drops down to 400. Yeah. But because he didn't bet at all, he has money to make it into uh, Final Jeopardy. Um, so going into Final Jeopardy, Amy has the uh, lock position of... 26,800. Uh, Francis is at 7,800, and Jorge is at 4,000. And uh, we get the category scientific names, and the clue the 1905 paper that gave this its name also referred to it as Dynamosaurus Imperiosus. Maybe I'm wrong here, but compared to some of the uh, Final Jeopardies last week, which were very difficult, I thought this one was rather simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and here's the thing, like, Jorge wrote, what is a T-Rex? And that was accepted. Yeah. Which I, I don't necessarily have a problem with, but, like... Last you, name is sufficient. First initial so, is... <laughs> so if, if we're considering Rex to be the last name of the thing, sure. Uh, <laughs> Who is Rex? <laughs> like, yeah, it, to me, it did not take much to be able to, to get this one. Um, mm-hmm. So... Yeah. But whatever, you know, they... They vary. So uh, Jorge got it right with what is T-Rex, uh, and he wagered 400. Francis got it right with what is Tyrannosaurus Rex. She wagered 5,000. And Amy also got it correct with what is Tyrannosaurus Rex and wagered 10,000. So she wins with 36,800. Mm-hmm. And on Tuesday, we have the contestants Taryn Agati, a law librarian from Watertown, Connecticut. Dan Tobin, a college instructor from Manchester, New Hampshire. And Amy Schneider, an engineering manager from Oakland, California, who has won 34 games at this point uh, and has cash winnings totaling $1,148,600. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, The Muppet Name, Medical History, You Played Yourself, I Want to Be, that's numeral two, letter B, each correct response will begin with B and have another B somewhere else. A part of it, New Jersey, New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I'd forgotten this gimmick. Yeah, everyone wants to be a part of New Jersey. <laughs> okay, okay, New Yorker, before we get any of this, like, class trash thrown around, I just want yeah. to cut you off. All right. I have family in New Jersey. It's a, it is a fine place. It is proximate to many things that you would like to visit (laughs) um (laughs) uh, ask me how i feel about connecticut it's the same um anyway no those they uh, i'm kidding they're fine places new jersey is fine anyway i was so ready for the muppet name to be like a picture of like increasingly obscure muppets and i was gonna nail it but it was not that i got and then I got thrown for a loop by it being about people whose first name is the name of a prominent Muppet. And you were provided last names and, you know, some identifying information. Yeah. But, you know, Jeopardy writers, whenever you want to throw us five increasingly obscure Muppets to name, I'm here for it. Well, that'll be coming up soon because we know they listen. Mm-hmm. We look forward to that. Thank you in advance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, in that New Jersey category at the $800 level, you can land on St. James Place, Pacific Avenue, or Vermont Avenue in this oceanfront resort city. Uh, Amy got it. That's Atlantic City. Uh, that's good to know that the original Monopoly is based on Atlantic City. Mm-hmm. If you did not know that. Oh, the, the whole you played yourself category was kind of fun. It was uh, times when actors appeared as themselves. Mm-hmm. Especially the $1,000 clue. I, that, yeah. I do remember that being something that I really enjoyed. Uh, keep up in Ocean's 12, she played Tess, who in a meta turn faked being her to help in a heist. Uh, that's Julia Roberts. Yeah, that, that whole... That whole <laughs> That whole plot is is great. Yeah. <laughs> Where she, uh, Julia Roberts as a character who is in Rob- Julia Roberts poses as Julia, Julia Roberts. Roberts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Brilliant. Kind of reminds me of Tropic Thunder, where Robert Downey Jr. plays a black man playing a white man. Mm. I have not seen Tropic Thunder. I don't know that it's worth the time. Okay. I enjoyed it when I watched it. Uh, anyway... Daily Double number one is in the uh, part of it category at the $800 level. Uh, Amy finds it. This is pick number 25, pretty late in the round. Uh, she's up to 9200 Dan is at zero, and Taryn's at 2800 uh, She wagers a big 4000 Gets the clue, the parts of this lowest section of your brain are the midbrain, the pons, and the medulla oblongata, which I also did a deep dive on parts of the brain. Yes, you sure did. And if Amy had listened to it, then she wouldn't have guessed what is the hypothalamus. Uh, cause that's like in the smack middle mm. and that's also not like a large part uh, or like section. Uh, but that is the mm-hmm. brainstem, the brainstem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she drops down at the end of the jeopardy round. She's at 7,400. Dan is at 1000 and Taryn is at 2,800 and we get the double jeopardy categories, escapist literature, murals, international cars, world history, seven letter anagrams and deep cuts. Mm hmm. They knew 60% of the deep cuts. They Yes, which I thought was pretty good. Mm-hmm, because they were deep cuts. Yeah, that's kind of the, the point. Yep. Mm-hmm. Although nobody guessed Daft Punk at the $2,000 level. I didn't, I wasn't sure, but I was like, that, I'm pretty, that sounds like Daft Punk. The clue mm-hmm. is, of course, Motherboard was part of this duo's random access memories. And maybe I happened, maybe I did learn at some point, or I did hear random access memories with Daft Punk, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no one, no one went for it. Yeah. We've got like a whole three in a row of things that connect to deep dives I've done over in escapist literature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At the $1,200 level, George and Eliza make it safely to Canada after escaping the Shelby Plantation in this 1852 novel. Uh, that's Uncle Tom's Cabin. And uh, then at the $1,600 level, we had... Uh, Oh, I should I should say what the connection is there. Um, I did a deep dive way back about Harriet Beecher Stowe, mm-hmm. who... Did a bunch of writing other than Uncle Tom's Cabin, although Uncle Tom's Cabin is, you know. The book the, that started the war. By f- Yes. <laughs> by far the most successful of her work. At the $1,600 level, we had a clue about great expectations. I uh, one time did an overview of the novels of Charles Dickens. Mm-hmm. Um which was helpful for me to prep. I hope it was helpful for people to listen to. Um, Amy got that one, so presumably she's heard that deep dive. Just kidding. Uh, that's the only no, way she um, could have known. That's the only way, the only way that a person would know about <laughs> who the protagonist of Great Expectations is. Yep. Yeah. And uh, and then we had a 
clue about a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court. Um, I had a pretty recent one about Arthuriana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's fun to see more and more stuff connect to um, to stuff we've talked about in detail on yeah. here. I'm not going to spend the whole episode plugging previous episodes, though. Although eventually it does seem to come to a point where we won't have to do any more deep dives we will just tell you to go listen to a previous episode mm-hmm. yeah and that'll maybe be we'll, maybe we'll do you a real favor and edit it in for you mm-hmm. maybe yep. Pro- yeah probably, probably not though daily double number two is in the international cars category that is not a category that is in my wheelhouse in any way mm. but the contestants did fine with it it's at the $2,000 level, and Amy finds it at the 10th pick. She has 12600 to Dan's 3000 and Taryn's 1200 She wagers 2000 and gets the clue. This car was first imported to the U.S. in the 1980s. The factory that made them was destroyed by NATO bombing in 1999. And she gets that one correct. It is a Yugo, mm-hmm. which I had not heard of, so, oh. but now I have. Mm. Kind of a joke of a car. Mm. If I recall. Uh, And Daily Double number three is in the escapist literature category at the $800 level. Uh, Pick number 17, and Amy finds it as well. She's up to 21,000 over Dan's 3,000 and Terrence negative 400. She wagers 6,000 and gets the clue. Ten young people tell stories to pass the time in the Decameron while escaping the Black Death engulfing this city. And uh, she is not sure... But she hesitantly guesses what is Florence, uh, and that is correct. I was also trying desperately to remember, is it Florence? Because Florence is, like, always the answer. Was it Mm -hmm. actually Florence? Or was it, like, Naples? Or Milan? Like, oh, it's some Italian city. But it it is Florence. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the Double Jeopardy round... Amy's in a lock position with 35,400, Dan's at 5,000, Taryn's at 400, and we have the final Jeopardy category awards around the world. And the clue, France's National Theater Award, it's named for a man who died in Paris in 1673. Taryn does not come up with anything, uh, she just has what is question mark, she's wagered 400, uh, that's everything, she drops down to zero, so she'll finish in third place. Dan has what is Moliere, and that is correct the playwright of tartuffe and the misanthrope he's wagered 500 so that puts him at 5500 he'll finish in second amy had written down what is the and then cyrano and then cross it out and then changed it to voltaire uh neither of those are correct of course and she's wagered 20,000 that drops her down to 15,400 but she was in a lock position so um she she wins the day yeah it's really easy to win in Final Jeopardy if you're in a lock position. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't everybody do that? Uh, and on Wednesday, we have the contestants Dimitri Apesos, an eighth grade math teacher from New Orleans, Louisiana, Ashley Chow, a corporate lawyer from Santa Clara, California, and Amy Schneider, an engineering manager from Oakland, California, whose 35 day cash winnings are now $1,164,000. And we have the Jeopardy round categories World Leaders, All Ears. How are we even related? Potent Potables, an orange category. Woo! And, oh, sorry. Delayed yeah, reaction. Yeah, that's all right. And correct that number. Or I guess I should say Potent Potables mm-hmm. to make it clear that it's not talking about us. Although, I mean, yeah, Potent Potables, mm-hmm. I guess, is the correct way to do it. That was fun. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, the correct that number was weird. They gave you like a uh, uh, like a like an idiom or like a saying that, but they gave the wrong number, and you had to mm-hmm. give the correct number, which was it was just strange to me. Um, and uh, we had a a reversal in the two hundred dollar clue of that category. It was go home, you're drunk. To be very precise, you're forty six sheets to the wind. Ashley rang in and said, "What is two? That was ruled incorrect. Dimitri got in with what is three, and that was ruled correct. But um, they did some research and found that there are references to being two sheets to the wind. So I was sort of amused by the the four hundred dollar level. Spinal taps, Nigel Tufnell cranking the dials on his amp way up. These go to 596, which would totally rock so hard. Yep. Uh, the correct response is 11. But now I sort of want to see like see them like dub 596. <laughs> <in>. Yeah. <laughs> I really, really liked the slow-mo video of the running Basset Hound. Oh, yeah. Uh, at the $400 <laughs> level of all years. Like, they could have just put a picture they could have put like just a normal video but like they really went for it with like the slow-mo like ears and jowls kind of like going every which way Mm -hmm. and like uh, i i thought that was great oh it was very good yeah yeah in the world leaders category at the 800 hundred dollar level the the clue is ellen johnson sirleaf who became the first female president of this african nation is related by mel- marriage to funny lady retta and they showed pictures of both of them and for me i have no idea who that is uh however they conveniently included a picture where she was wearing a pin and that pin had a flag that looked very similar to the united states except there was one fl- one star in the blue field uh which informed me that she must be the first female president of Liberia. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that. I was like, oh, yeah. I have used context clues. Mm-hmm. How about that? Nice. Thanks. Yeah. Daily Double number one is in that world leaders category at the $600 level. And Dimitri finds it as the second pick. He's just at 200 because he's answered one $200 clue correctly. Amy and Ashley are both at zero, of course. He makes it a true daily double. He says he's been waiting his whole life to say this. $200. Yeah, please. which he seemed like a jokester. So I enjoyed yeah. that. That was fun. Yeah, no, it was, it, it was cute. Wager the thousand, though. Like, I don't think that it was a good joke. I don't know if it was an $800 joke. Right. Anyway, uh, his clue is at age 39 in 2017, he became the youngest president in the history of modern France. Uh, and he knows that is Macron. Yes, not to be confused with macaroon. Or macaron. Or macaron. Yep. Or macaroni. (laughs) I I remember seeing a chart when he was elected, differentiating those things. Yeah. I should make macaroons. I don't think I've ever done that. Coconut macaroon. Like, I I don't want to make macaron. Those are apparently unbelievably fussy and difficult. And are they worth it? Yeah, they're worth it. Getting from a place that makes them, but I don't... Right. Yeah. Not worth putting the work in. I get it. Anyway, at the end of the Jeopardy round, Amy has taken the lead and is at 9,000. Dimitri's at 5,400. Ashley's at 800. And our double Jeopardy categories are local nicknames, big talk with big in quotation marks, cemeteries, short novels... Mexico before 1600, and also a Broadway musical. That category was great. Yes, it was. I enjoyed that. 
I did not do super great with it, partially because, well, I guess I did okay. Really, there was just one that really threw me for the loop. Last name of Willie and Benny, early 1900 New York City delicatessen entrepreneurs. I'm like, uh, how am I supposed to know that? Oh, right, because it's about New York City, and therefore it is valid trivia for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, that's cats, spelled yep. differently, but uh, yeah, I wasn't going to get to that one. Yeah, cats, K-A-T-Z, uh, delicatessen is a very famous one. That's where the when Harry met Sally scene takes place. Ah, uh, yes. I am uh, also well-versed at Nora Ephron movies, so. Yes, good. Yeah, the the I'll have what she's having mm-hmm. scene in yeah. When Harry Met Sally, that's that's at Katz's, um, and it's a great deli. And it's great. That's the main one that you would be expected to know. Carnegie Deli also is a, is a famous one. Um, Man, what didn't Carnegie but, do? Yeah, <laughs> I think it's a different Carnegie, but I'm not really sure. <laughs> um, yeah. I really loved the $2,000 level in this category. The clue was, in the King James Bible, Mordecai and Reuben each got upset and did this to their clothes. <laughs> rent. Yes. They rent, they rent their, their clothes. clothes. I guess it's like the past tense of to rend. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Many of my friends have have made similar observations. I'm not being original, but like realizing that you've become an adult when you like look back on like your moody 13 year old self, like, you know, like screaming along, like we're not going to pay rent and like feeling it in your soul. (laughs) And then like, you know, (laughs) you're in your 30s and you're like, you're, you're not going like everyone has to pay rent. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Pay rent. (laughs) Daily double number two. Two is in the big talk category at the $2,000 level. Pick number 13. Amy finds this one also. Uh, she is at 17800 Ashley is at 5200 Dimitri is at 7400 And she wagers 3000 and gets the clue. Ironically, it was cosmologist Fred Hoyle, a leading advocate of the steady state theory, who coined this term. And she got it correct with, what is the Big Bang? And Ken said, it's a shame Mayim wasn't here for that. <laughs> yeah. Good good little yeah. joke. That yeah, would be great. Quip. Mm-hmm. And Daily Double number three is in the cemeteries category at the $1,200 level. And Amy finds this one as well at the 22nd pick. She has 24800 at this point to Ashley's 6800 and Dimitri's 5800 she wagers 2000 and gets the clue. Naturally, Washington Irving rests at this famed cemetery in New York State. And she gets that one correct with Sleepy Hollow. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's right by me. I actually froze up trying to remember if there was a name other than the name of the town mm. for the cemetery, which yeah. there's not. It's, it's Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. Gotcha. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Amy is yet again in a lock position at 32,800. Ashley is at 6,800 and Dimitri is at 6,200. And the final Jeopardy category is films of the 2000s. And Ken tells us to cast our cast our minds back. It was a while ago now, actually. Oh, yeah, it's like 20 years. The clue is one of the screenwriters of this 2001 film described it as clueless meets the paper chase. Dimitri got it correct with what is legally blonde and uh, wagered 6,000. So he's up to 12,200. Ashley also got it correct, what is Legally Blonde, and wagered 5601, a cover bet for second place. And uh, 
Amy got it incorrect. She put what has never been kissed. Mm-hmm. And she wagered 15,000. She, oh, I see. She made some reference, like she sort of tried to briefly explain herself. She said, oh, the newspaper or uh-huh. something like that, which I wasn't sure what she was talking about. But apparently uh female protagonist of never been kissed uh drew barrymore right Mm -hmm. works at a newspaper today i learned yeah (laughs) me too legally blonde i should rewatch legally blonde it's great but also like i remember it coming out and like it was an era where like i don't know just a lot of a lot of films kind of within that genre were were coming out and most Mm -hmm. of them weren't that great yeah Seeing it go from, like, being regarded as, like, yet another dumb movie for teenage girls to, like, a cinema classic right. of the new century <laughs> has been so vindicating. Well, I'm glad. Um, I'm yeah. glad for you. Thank you. If people would just give 10 things I hate about you, it's due, then I could really rest easy. Anyway. Uh, okay, so Emily has so, a crusade. Yeah. Maybe we should keep talking about Jeopardy, though. Uh, Thursday, we have the contestants Brittany Love, a trial attorney from Concord, North Carolina, Patrick Lackey, a biochemistry professor from New Wilmington, Pennsylvania, and Amy Schneider, an engineering manager from Oakland, California, whose 36-day cash winnings total $1,181,800. And we have the Jeopardy round categories 1922, also known as Getting a Shot, Anti-synonyms, lights, camera, and action movie. The $200 clue, and also known as, was uh, theater people refer to it as the Scottish play. And uh, Amy glanced around nervously when she answered, what is Macbeth? Yeah. It was very nice. It was a good touch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, arguably... It's bad luck to say it on on the Jeopardy stage, right? Like... I mean, it's a theater. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a live theater venue in quite the same way. But yeah, I, I, I think the superstition absolutely applies. Yeah, for sure. In Light's camera at the $200 level, our clue was the first clear showing that repeated or prolonged exposure to this type of light causes skin cancer came in 1928. Um, Brittany tried what is sunlight. Ken asked her for more specific and she specified UV sunlight. I thought that was... It was an interesting be more specific, I thought. I went straight to UV light, but when she rang in and said sunlight, I thought, I thought well, that might, that might be enough. I don't mm. know. I don't know. Yeah. There was also some, uh, some fun joking around, I thought, at the $400 level of action movie. The clue was, give us your best Billy Batson impression as you say the title of this 2019 DC film. I don't understand the reference there. But um, anyway, Patrick rang in and said, uh, what is Shazam? <laughs> Very, and uh, Ken, Ken jokingly asked, that's your best impression? I thought that was a, it was a mm-hmm. fun moment. Yeah. Patrick said it was a lot of pressure. Um, yeah. Yeah, Billy Batson is the name of the boy who becomes shazam right okay but in order to become shazam he has to like shout it like really really big it's a a big thing that's helpful thank you for the context you are welcome you are absolutely welcome daily double number 
one is in the also known as category at the $2,000 level. Amy finds it. Pick number 12. She is at 4,400. Patrick is at 400 and Brittany's at zero. And she wagers 2,000. And the clue is this world capital is called the birthplace of democracy. Uh, and she gets it correct with what is Athens. At the end of the Jeopardy round, Amy is up to 10,800. Patrick is at 4,200. And Brittany is at negative 400. She is uh, dropped down a bit. And they get the double Jeopardy categories. A farce to be reckoned with. Before and after TV. International Men of Mystery. The Energy Biz. South Asia. And starts with three consonants. There were some some fun ones in the before and after TV category. Yeah, that was a great category. Yeah, $1,200 level women's prison dramedy in which Rowan Atkinson plays a period royal. Uh, that's Orange is the New Black Adder. Mm-hmm. I might watch that. I would watch that. Uh, and the $1,600 level, William and Virginia give bedroom advice to Carrie, Samantha, Charlotte, and Miranda. That's Masters of Sex and the City. I, I, I find that... Uh, that that one tickled me. That was a that was a good one. To be honest, I probably would not watch that one. I might watch it. Sex in the City never appealed to me as something worth watching, but I also yeah. was not probably the target demographic. Yeah, that's similarly to how I was a thirteen year old, you know, passionately identifying with be- being a <laughs> an adult New Yorker, not paying rent. Mm-hmm, right. Um, <laughs> I uh, I was a college student who who deeply identified with Sex in the City. <laughs> it was not the phase of life I was in at all. Right. Um. Yeah. I I don't know. I can't explain it. Sure. The whole uh Sex in the City Peloton scandal. I've I've paid attention to with interest. I don't know if you've if have you heard much about that. I. I saw something and I was like, I don't have room in my brain for this right now. <laughs> yeah, the, the Sex in the City made like made arrangements with Peloton to like like use the Peloton brand and have a character be taking a Peloton class in like the the reboot, and they did not disclose to Peloton that the character would die of a heart attack during or like immediately after taking the spin class with the implication being that the character was like killed by overexerting himself on his peloton bike nice so yeah so like the peloton stock went way down (laughs) it was a whole thing well you know what that's what you get for trusting a tv show Mm. well actually Mm. they didn't trust because they weren't informed right so i guess it doesn't matter okay yeah i mean they i think they had to agree to like let them use a thing like to yeah like i think that they even like like filmed like a special like Like the class class for him to be taking but they weren't told how it would be used they just like provided some footage Mm -hmm. you know nice yeah that was a that was a fun quirky news story recently I, i i really enjoyed it All right. Daily Double number two is in the South Asia category at the $1,200 level, and Amy finds it at the 12th pick. She has $20,400 at this point to Patrick's $3,400. Brittany's $1,600 in the red. Amy wagers $5,000 and gets the clue. Born in Karachi, she served twice as prime minister of her country from 1988 to 1990 and 1993 to 1996. And she... Gets that one correct with Butoh, Benazir Butoh. Yep. And Daily Double number three is in the International Men of Mystery category at the $800 level. Amy also finds this one. 
Uh, she's found all three in this game. And uh, she is at 29,400 now over Patrick's 3,400. And Brittany's neg- negative 16. Uh, so their scores are the same. She wagers 5,000 and gets the clue. After dying in this fortress, the man in the iron mask was laid to rest under the name Marchioli. And uh, she gets it correct with what is the Bastille? So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Amy's in a lock position yet again uh, with 46,400 to Patrick's 3,000. Brittany has uh, gone even farther into the red trying to recover. Um, so with negative 2,800, she will not be participating in final jeopardy. We have the final jeopardy category words in American history. And the clue is, the 1890 census reported that the unsettled area has been so broken into that there can hardly be said to be a this. And both of them get it correct. Patrick has crossed out what is the West uh, and written frontier. What is frontier? And that is correct. Um, Apparently, 1890 was the first year that the Census Bureau did not officially designate frontier areas. Yeah. Uh, he's wagered 2,000, bringing him up to 5,000. I guess this is like, this is the kind of situation where you can just wager, you know, literally anything. Literally anything. People tend to think that it's about your like level of confidence in the category, and it almost, that almost never should be a factor. Yeah. A final Jeopardy wager, but like, you know what? Like, if there's only two people participating and the other person has. 15 times your score <laughs> like sure like wager on your based on your level of confidence in the category yep do your thing yep yeah so he he finishes with 5,000 he'll he'll take home 2,000 as the second place winner and amy has what is frontier she's wagered twenty five thousand dollars and uh that gives her seventy one thousand four hundred for this game and her 37th win so on Friday, we have the contestants Coray Carey, an office manager from Avondale Estates, Georgia, Avinash Rajendra, a PhD student from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Amy Schneider, an engineering manager from Oakland, California, whose 37-day cash winnings are $1,253,200. And we have the Jeopardy Round categories, Landmark of the City, Word Pairs, Fictional Planets, Nonsense, Balderdash, and Hui, or who e with the in quotation marks. I like the landmark of the city category. Yeah, me too. I sort of think they should have done pictures for all of them. They did pictures yeah. for three. Yeah. I don't know that pictures would have made them any less difficult. Because the ones that didn't were The Little Mermaid unveiled in 1913. That's Copenhagen. Uh, and... The $800 clue was the Edmund Pettus Bridge, site of a bloody 1965 confrontation. I don't I don't think either clue would have made it easier if they'd had a picture. Um, yeah. So, I agree. I think they should add pictures. Yeah. Uh, Amy has clearly spent time with Winnie the Pooh, uh, the nonsense mm-hmm. category at the 600. Beloved nonsense words include this creature that Pooh and Piglet track through the snow. Or is it a whistle? And Amy guessed what is a heffalump. Mm-hmm. Which is what came to mind for me first. But that is not what they were going for. They were looking for woozles. Right. The other fantastical creature. Mm-hmm. I I also thought immediately of Heffalump, even though I've read that story dozens of times. 
I love those Winnie the Pooh stories. They're those are they're great read alouds with kids. Highly recommend. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we find the first daily double in the Who E category at the eight hundred dollar level, and Avinash finds it at the twenty eighth pick, so almost the end of the round. He's at twenty eight hundred. Amy's at sixty eight hundred. Correa is at thirty four hundred, and he wagers just a thousand, which I, I would say that's the wrong move in yeah. this. I mean, Ken tried to coach him to get him to give more. Yeah. Which Ken should not. Should not be be doing. Should not be doing. (laughs) They could, you know, they could could, um, resolve this, uh, like, who's the host of Jeopardy thing by (laughs) having uh, Maya Bialik be the host and Ken be, like, the sideline coach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, no, he shouldn't be doing that. Uh, I don't think that they can have Ken be the sideline coach. He's not supposed to be coaching anybody. Anyway, he wagers just a thousand and gets the clue. He edited the second and third of the three volumes of Das Kapital. And it takes him a minute to pull the name, but he does with uh, who is Angles of Marx and Angles. So uh, that takes him into second place. He couldn't have taken first at this point, but um, it would have been would have been good to get closer. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Amy's at 8,400, Avinash is at 3,800, Korea is at 3,400. And we have the double Jeopardy categories, Explorers, The Producers, Philosophic and Religious Isms, Symphonies, Some Random Elements, and Words from Russian. This is really neither here nor there, but misuse of the word random really annoys me. Me too! It does bug me because it's like, it's not random. These are Somebody not random. selected them. Somebody selected them and wrote clues about them. Mm-hmm. Unless did they did they actually randoms, randomly select five elements that then they had to write clues about? I don't. I doubt it. I doubt it. Maybe. Maybe they did. Maybe. That might. That, that could be a fun thing to do to pass the time in the in the writer's room. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I doubt it. And Often people say random when they mean um, like lesser known or less obvious. Right. And that's not what random means. That's not what random means. Or, yeah. I, I mean, I deal with teenagers who like to use it in, in place of like spontaneous mm, yeah. or unexpected. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's, it's not random. You know, if you describe yourself as random, no, you're not because you make decisions. Yep. Anyway. Yes. Agreed. We are we are in agreement. Mm-hmm. I do like the idea that maybe they selected the elements using like using a random number generator, but that, I don't think they did. That would be pretty did. cool. Yeah. Uh, the sixteen hundred dollar clue in that category did throw me off. This has the atomic number ninety four. The Cassini craft set off to Saturn with power provided by seventy three pounds of this two thirty eight. Now I don't remember which one is ninety four. Um, the, the correct answer is plutonium. It was a triple stumper. But I've always associated the 238 isotope with uranium. uranium. Yep, same. And so I was like, oh, it's U-238. And then it was plutonium. And I was like, whoa. What? Yeah. Oh, I would have, I would have lost 1600 there and I'd have been very angry about it. <laughs> yeah. I had, a, I had a similar thought process. They did not do great in the symphonies category. Uh, 
which is not terribly surprising to me. Uh, they got the or the the lower dollar amount clues. Sixteen hundred, I thought was really hard. Charles Ives used all kinds of existing tunes in his Symphony Number no. Three, including this hymn, also called Eerie. Quote, "What a choice!" And uh, the the hymn is "What a friend we have in Jesus." That, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I know Charles Ives' music. Like one of my professors in college is kind of the the leading Ives scholar in like the country. So I feel like I know Ives' music better than probably most people in the world, and I have no idea on that one. Yeah, um, and eerie, like the knowing hymn tunes by name is not something anyone is expected to do. Yeah, most church organists I know don't know most hymn tunes by name. Right? There's a there's a name of many hymn tunes have a name that's separate from the lyrics you sing to them because um, various texts have been set to the same tune Mm -hmm. over the years. So like Hifferdal as a Welsh hymn tune, Uh, Love Divine, All Love's Excelling, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. There's like, there's several different popular hymns that are, that are each of which are sung to that tune, but also some of them are sometimes sung to another tune, right? So, like, right. Um, so there's no hymn called Eerie. That's the name of a tune to which certain texts are, uh, to which or certain applied, texts are, yeah. are set, including What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And so, like, nobody knows Eerie. So, really, to me, this clue is what hymn starts with what, what uh. uh and so I was feeling very clever and I was like, what a fellowship, what a joy divine leaning on the everlasting arm. And I was like, maybe it's joy divine. And I think I would have rung in with that. Like I, I was like, I figured out the puzzle, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, but, it's, but it was not that. Yeah. Yeah. It. I thought that one was really obscure. That's yeah. No, that was, that was super obscure, I think. Uh, but if you've never spent any time listening to Charles Ives music, uh, you should uh, go in expecting not to necessarily enjoy it <laughs> the first time. Uh, but it, it's very interesting. Uh, hmm. It uses a lot of like, not this, I, I guess it's kind of pastiche sort of uh, a lot of overlapping tunes, polytonality. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I like, yeah. I like Ives anyway. Uh, Daily double number two is in the explorers category at the $1,200 level. It is pick number 20. Nope. It is pick number two. Uh, in the round, Amy finds it. She is at 9,200. Avinash is at 3,800. And Corey is at 3,400. And she wagers 2,000. And the clue is, bridges over New York Bay and Narragansett Bay are named for this explorer who sailed into the both bodies of water in 1524. And she seems unsure when she guesses uh, who is Verrazzano. But that is correct. And Daily Double number three is in the philosophic and religious isms category at the $1,600 level. And Amy finds this one as well at the 11th pick and has 17,600 to Avinash's 3,800 and Corey's 3,400. She wagers 4,000 and gets the clue. This five-letter philosophy, popular with some of the founding fathers, believes in a god, but one who stays out of human affairs. And she knows that is deism. Yeah, the great clockmaker. Mm-hmm. Interesting concept to 14-year-old me. 
I mean, it, it, it is one way sort of around the problem of evil, right? Like, right. Yeah. you know, why, why do bad things happen in the world if God is good? It is because God has, you know, sort of set up, created the world with all of its rules and then sort of steps back and lets it run. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was what was appealing about it to 14-year-old you, but... No, it was the... I don't know. It, I guess wading into the philosophical idea of, like, what is the nature of God? You know, mm-hmm. How active is God in the world? And I guess sort of t- towing the line between, like, atheism and theism, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's like, I believe that there is a creator, and I believe that he also doesn't do anything anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah like, is effectively not present right uh, so yeah i don't know it was an interesting thought yeah anyway at the end of the uh double jeopardy round amy is in a lock position surprise surprise at thirty-four thousand. avinash is at 5400 and Corey is at 4200 and we get the final jeopardy category mountains and the clue first scaled in 1829 this seventeen thousand foot mountain has caused excitement by the supposed discovery of wood High up on it. Uh, Corey wrote, what is the Matterhorn? That is incorrect. And she wagered 4,000. So she drops to 200. Uh, Avinash wrote, what is Kilimanjaro? That is also incorrect. And uh, he wagered 3,001. So he drops to 2,399. Amy got it correct with what is Mount Ararat? Uh, The supposed landing place of Noah's Ark. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is correct. And Amy wagered 20,000. Because she can. Because she can in that position. Man. So she ties Madame Odio's uh, win streak with 38 days and a total of $1,307,200. Mm-hmm. And she will come back next week. So uh, we will see. Yes, we will. And so that is the end of this week. And this is the point in the show when we take a pause to remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potentpotables if you'd like to head over there and check out some patron-exclusive content. We've got some got some stuff up there. I realize if you're listening right now, it's too late for this this week. But if you want to be able to see the quiz questions early before the show is edited and up, uh, we post those right after we finish recording. Um, and we've got some other exclusive recordings and such that you can check out. Uh, that's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you uh, agree with us that there are, in fact, more important things in this world than our podcast, we encourage you to direct your attention and perhaps your funds toward blacklivesmatter.com, communityjusticeexchange.org, and the Stop Asian Hate uh, GoFundMe database. That's right. Thank you. So, Emily. Yeah. Let's see if I can make this two for two in 2022. What are we All talking right. about? Are we talking about Warren G. Harding? <laughs> the worst president? No, we are not talking about Warren G. Harding. Okay. All right. I thought maybe I had you there. What about the Battle of Crecy? I considered it. I really did. But no, that is not what I went with. Okay. Chichen Itza? No, but you're getting closer. Ah, Okay. So we're talking about the Olmecs. Uh, this is from the Wednesday game in the Double Jeopardy round, Mexico before 1600, at the $1,600 level. This people, the first big civilization in Mexico, left behind figures called Weir Jaguars. And those are the Olmecs. Uh, Dimitri guessed who were the Aztecs, but no, the Aztecs were 
kind of the last indigenous civilization. Uh, so yeah, we're talking about the Olmecs. Uh, I I had heard of the Olmecs, like I knew they were the first, but mm-hmm. I realized I didn't know pretty much anything else about them. I know that the giant talking head in Legends of the Hidden Temple is called Olmec. Oh, is it? <laughs> That's, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Which, of course, we all know that that is uh, extremely historically accurate. So you yeah, probably super, know everything you Yeah, super know. historically accurate. Um, are you, is Legends of the Hidden Temple outside your, like, are, are you no, outside? No, no, no. The... I'm familiar okay. with it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Of course. I grew up in the 90s, so you can. All right. Cool. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so we're talking about the Olmecs. So they were the, uh, the earliest known uh, major Mesoamerican civilization. Of course, Mesoamerican meaning Middle America uh, in, the, in the middle of the Americas. Uh, they occupied the uh, tropical lowlands of the modern-day Mexican states of Veracruz and Tabasco. It has been speculated that the Olmecs derived in part from the neighboring Makoya or Michezoque cultures, uh, which I'm not going to talk about those. So the thing about the Olmecs, like we don't, j- just in general, we don't know a whole lot because uh, th- there are no like remaining records. We have artifacts. We have uh, uh, ruins that have been uh, excavated. And so we-, we know some stuff, but it's hard to paint like a through line. There- there's not necessarily like a narrative or story of the civilization that we have because we don't have much recorded and also kind of because of the way that their, their society was set up. So I'll, I'll talk mm-hmm. about, I'll give some facts Talk about some things that might come up with trivia, um, like the Weir Jaguars, uh, and kind of kind of flesh out some knowledge about it. So they flourished during the uh, Mesoamerican formative period, dating roughly from as early as 1500 BCE to about 400 BCE. Pre-Olmec cultures had been around since about 2500 BCE, but by 1600 to 1500 BCE, the the Olmec culture had emerged centered on the San Lorenzo Tenochtitlan site near the south uh, east coast of Veracruz. They were the first Mesoamerican civilization and laid many of the foundations for the civilizations that followed. Uh, they were the first to apparently practice ritual bloodletting, and it seems that they were the first to play the Mesoamerican ball game. We're not entirely sure about that, because while uh, balls have been excavated, uh, there has not been necessarily a a court found in any of the um, Olmec ruins to suggest that they played the uh, the game that that lasted basically through the Aztecs, um, but it's possible that they did. They're also known for their artwork, particularly the aptly named colossal heads. Talk about right now. So the the colossal heads are stone representations of human heads sculpted from large basalt boulders. The ones that have been found range from 1.17 to 3.4 meters, so up to almost 12 feet tall. They date from at least 900 BCE. Uh, they they all portray mature individuals with fleshy cheeks, flat noses, and slightly crossed eyes, uh, hmm. which is similar to um, kind of the like appearance of, of native people of uh, Veracruz and Tabasco. So it's... It, Seems representative of who they are. Uh, the f- discovery of the first colossal head was at Tres Zapotes in 1862, and it was not well documented outside of uh, Mexico. 
1938, the excavation of the same colossal, colossal head by Matthew Sterling, an American ethnologist and archaeologist, spurred the first archaeological investigations of Olmec culture. So that's when we got a lot more uh, discoveries going on. So that's the colossal heads. We have other artifacts, like uh, like I mentioned, the the weird jaguars and other uh, sculptures, as well as some steles and uh, and uh, Great Pyramid at Laventa. The name Olmec comes from the Nahuatl word for the Olmecs, which uh, was like Olmecatl or Olmeca, and it's comprised of two like smaller words, Ola meaning natural rubber and Mecatl meaning people. Uh, so the Olmecs were known as the rubber people in the Nahuatl language because the the Aztecs learned from them the the way to like uh, draw latex out of out of rubber trees and uh, mix it to create rubber. So the beginnings of Olmec civilization uh, traditionally placed between 1400 and 1200 BCE and it seems that the Olmecs had their roots in early farming cultures of Tabasco which uh, actually began a lot earlier. These shared the same basic food crops and technologies of the later Olmec civilization. What is today called Olmec first appeared fully in San Lorenzo Tenochtitlan, where distinctive Olmec features occurred around 1400 BCE. The rise of civilization was assisted by the local ecology of well-watered alluvial soil, as well as by the transportation network provided by the Coatzacoalcus River Basin. Whew, that's a that's a tongue twister. Mm-hmm. Uh this environment uh, can be compared to other centers of civilization like the Nile, Indus, Yellow River, Mesopotamia, other, you know, fertile valleys. The highly productive environment encouraged a densely concentrated population, which in turn triggered the rise of an elite class. And that elite cl- class created the demand for the production of the symbolic and sophisticated luxury artifacts that we uh, still find. Uh, many of these luxury artifacts were made from materials such as jade, obsidian, and magnetite, which came from distant locations, and suggests that early Olmec elites had access to an extensive trading network in Mesoamerica. Uh, for instance, the source of the most valued jade was the Motagua River Valley in eastern Guatemala. Uh, the state of Guerrero, and in particular its early Mescala culture, seemed to have played an important role in the early history of the Olmecs. Uh, and Olmec-style artifacts tend to appear earlier in some parts of Guerrero than in the Veracruz-Tabasco area. The first Olmec center, San Lorenzo, was all but abandoned around 900 BCE, at about the same time that Laventa rose to prominence. So Laventa is a Olmec uh, site. It has a great pyramid, uh, and it is in the Me- Mexican state of Tabasco. Laventa was a civic and ceremonial center, while it may have included as yet undiscovered regal residences, habitation for the non-regal elite and the commoners were located at outlying sites such as San Andres. Uh, instead of dwellings, Laventa was is dominated by a restricted sacred area, the Great Pyramid, and a large plaza to the south. Uh, as a ceremonial center, Laventa contains an elaborate series of buried offerings and tombs, as well as monumental sculptures. These stone monuments, or stele, and altars, are were carefully distributed amongst the mounds and platforms. The mounds and platforms were built largely from local sands and clays. And it is assumed that many of these platforms were once topped with wooden structures, which have long since disappeared. La Venta is broken up into like five or six different complexes. Complex A is the restricted area. Complex C is the Great Pyramid. Complex B is uh, like south of that. 
and Complex E is where there might have been residences, but we don't know of any. Hmm. Um, and there are a bunch of, like, there are colossal heads there. There are other monumental artifacts, like uh, seven basalt altars and things like that. So Laventa is Olmec and has a lot of uh, ceremonial artifacts. So uh, I mentioned the first Olmec Center, San Lorenzo, was basically abandoned around 900 BCE. So following the decline of San Lorenzo, Laventa became the most prominent Olmec Center lasting from 900 BCE until its abandonment in 400 BCE. Uh, Laventa sustained the Olmec cultural traditions with spectacular displays of power and wealth. The Great Pyramid was the largest Mesoamerican structure of its, of its time. Even today, after 2,500 years of erosion, it rises 34 meters above the naturally flat landscape. And uh, like I mentioned, buried deep within Laventa lay opulent, labor-intensive offerings thousand tons of smooth serpentine blocks, large mosaic pavements, and at least 48 separate votive offerings of polished jade celts, or Celts, I don't know if it's pronounced Celts, uh, pottery figurines, and hematite mirrors. Uh, scholars have yet to determine the cause of the eventual extinction of the Olmec culture, but between 400 and 350 BCE, uh, the population in the eastern half of the Olmec heartland dropped precipitously, and the area was sparsely inhabited until the 19th century. According to archaeologists, this depopulation was probably the result of very serious environmental changes that rendered the region unsuited for large groups of farmers, in particular changes to the uh, river environment that the Olmec depended on for agriculture, hunting, and gathering, and transportation. These changes may have been triggered by tectonic upheavals or subsidence or the siltation of rivers due to agricultural practices. Hmm. One theory for the considerable population drop during the terminal formative period is that the relocation of settlements due to volcanism instead of extinction, uh, vulcan volcanic eruptions during the early, late, and terminal formative periods would have blanketed the lands and forced the Olmec to move their settlements. Uh, but whatever the cause, within a few hundred years of the abandonment of the last Olmec cities, success, successor cultures became firmly established. The uh, Tres Sapotes site on the western edge of Olmec heartland continued to be occupied, but without the hallmarks of Olmec culture. This post-Olmec culture, often labeled Epi-Olmec, has features similar to those found at Izapa, uh, about 340 miles to the southeast. Uh, so yeah, I mentioned they have we have a lot of artifacts like the colossal heads, uh, rectangular altars, which are more, more likely thrones. Uh, they're also freestanding in the round sculptures, such as the twins from El Azazul or San Martin Pahapin, uh, and then a bunch of stele like at uh, La Venta, um, as well as uh, uh, many jade face masks and uh, figurines. So some of those figurines are called Kunz axes, K-U-N-Z, hmm. uh, also known as votive axes, and they are figures that represent weird jaguars, uh, which, like a werewolf, right? Like, it's part jaguar, part yeah. human. Mm -hmm. uh, they were apparently used for rituals. In most cases, the head is half the total volume of the figure. So if you look at the picture, I'll, I'll put a picture up in the Patreon with it. Uh, if you look at a picture... The top half is the head and the bottom half is the rest of it. Uh, all Kuntz axes have flat noses and an open mouth. The name Kuntz comes from George Friedrich Kuntz, an American mineralogist who described a figure in 1890. Yeah, <laughs> I guess he felt like he could put his name on it. Or maybe mm. someone else did. I don't know. Olmec-style artifacts, designs, and figurines uh, have been found 
in the archaeological records of sites hundreds of kilometers outside the Olmec heartland, uh, like in central Mexico, in the valley of Morelos or um, Tlatelco, uh, in western Mexico, uh, in Guerrero, like I mentioned, uh, southern Mexico and Guatemala. And so it's it's possible and, and probable that, um, like was mentioned, there was an extensive trading network. But, I mean, people also probably traveled uh, outside of their home. Mm-hmm. The generally accepted but by no means unanimous interpretation is that Olmec-style artifacts uh, became associated with elite status and were adopted by non-Olmec formative period chieftains in an effort to bolster their status. So last thing, the Olmecs had some notable innovations like blood bloodletting and sacrifice. Uh, there's speculation about that. There's not strict record of it, but some of the uh, altars and artifacts that we have, such as Altar 5 from Laventa, suggests rituals of human sacrifice. They may have been the first civilization in the Western Hemisphere to develop a writing system. Uh, We have symbology from uh, 650 BCE and 900 BCE, Mm. which precedes the Zapotec writing. So Olmecs were kind of the first. The Zapotecs came after that, and then the the Aztecs after them. Uh, They also have uh, the Mesoamerican long count calendar, right? We know about the Mayan mm-hmm. long count that was supposed to destroy the world in 2012. Uh, the Olmecs had a long count that we know of. We, we've seen uh, from Tris Zapotes. Uh, we also know about that. Uh, they also were one of the first civilizations in the world to uh, have the concept of zero, the mathematical concept of zero. Mm. Um, as I've mentioned before, the ancient Greeks, you know, the mathematicians and philosophers did not like that idea. They rejected the notion of zero. <laughs> And so, uh, but the Olmecs were doing it, you know, way back when. Uh, and of course, I mentioned the Mesoamerican ball game, which we have found dozens of rubber balls, no existing uh, court in which they may have played, but it's possible that they did. Hmm. Uh, we don't really know much about their religion or mythology uh, other than the like imagery that we can see. There were rulers... Uh, probably priests and shamans. There's considerable evidence for shamans in the Olmec archaeological record, particularly in these so-called transformation figures. Um, but we don't we don't have any documentation like from Mayan culture that gives us like clear stories and and deities that they referred to. Um, Olmec art shows that deities like the feathered serpent and a rain supernatural were already in the Mesoamerican pantheon at that time, but we don't know the specifics. Little is directly known about the social or political structure of Olmec society, because, again, we don't have, like, written word. We know they had written language, but we don't have a lot of documentation. But we we are certain that there was a an elite class uh, and probably a regal class as well, although it is believed that it lacked uh, institutions like a standing army or a priestly caste. And also there is no evidence that San Lorenzo or La Venta as like centers of the culture controlled all of the Olmec heartland. It is believed that most of the like centers of population kind of ruled themselves uh, somewhat independently. Mm-hmm. So there's some stuff about the Olmecs. I mean, there's nice. obviously more I can talk about, but. That's a lot more than that's the name of the talking head in the Nickelodeon show. So right. I, <laughs> that's like, good. <laughs> like really earliest major civilization that we know about concept of zero uh, bloodletting. And potential sacrifice, mm-hmm. uh, colossal heads, Central America. There you go. Yeah. All right. Are you ready for a quiz? I am ready for a quiz. 
All right, uh, this quiz has a secret theme, which will basically be the answer to the final question, so pay attention. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. All right, so here we go. Question one. This luxury vehicle brand is headquartered in Coventry, England, and also owns the Land Rover brand. It makes models such as the F-Pace, E-Pace, I-Pace, F-Type, and X-Type, all of which come in many colors, not just red. Not just red. Um... Hmm. All right. Well, the thing that's coming to mind is Aston Martin, although I don't know enough about cars to know whether that's a good guess or a terrible guess. But I don't have another guess, so we'll go with that. Okay, it is not Aston Martin. That is an English luxury brand. It is Jaguar. Oh! Oh, that's much more obvious. Okay. Jaguar. Yes. All right. All right, that's well, okay. I, I am not embarrassed by my guess. So that's okay. Yeah, that, that's, that's okay. probably the, the hardest one. Of the okay. All right. Uh, question two. Disney's Aladdin has a pet monkey named Abu. His name raises some questions like, how did Aladdin end up an orphan? Did wizardry play a role? Is the monkey a holy man of sorts? What does Abu mean in English? I feel like the questions must be hints, right? Like, Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Um, how did Aladdin end up an orphan? Is the monkey a holy man of sorts? What does Abu mean? Or really, I guess I could change the first question to rather, rather than how did Aladdin end up an orphan? I could ask the question, is Aladdin really an orphan? Oh, huh. So speaking, it's still a tiny bit of Hebrew which is connected, like, like, uh, mm-hmm. related. Um, I immediately was like, well, that looks like the root for father, but I don't know if that makes sense, but I- I'm going to go with father. It is father. Yay. Nice. Good job. Didn't never really thought about it until it was like, wait a minute. Is Abu Aladdin's father? <laughs> is this like an obscure fan theory or is this yours? I don't know. I haven't looked into it. I really just started thinking about it. Like, why is the monkey named father? Yeah, is he Aladdin's father? Was he? Mm-hmm. Did Jafar turn him into a monkey? Is that where this whole thing comes from? Like, what? Mm. Where does this? Yeah. Anyway, yes, it is father. Nice job. You got ten points. Yay. Uh, question three: A group of whales is a pod. A group of rhinos is a crash. And a group of ravens is a conspiracy or an unkindness. What is a group of parrots called, which likely describes the noise you would hear if you were surrounded by them? Huh. I assume that it's something having to do with, like, that parrots talk. Chatter came to mind. I don't have a reason to say something other than chatter, so I will say chatter. Uh, It is a pandemonium. A pandemonium. A pandemonium of parrots, which is one of my favorite group of animals names. That's great. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I'm doing badly on this quiz, but I'm not even mad about it because I'm learning cool facts. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, all right, uh, question question four. Uh, sisters Anne and Nancy Wilson started a rock band in 1967 called The Army. They changed their name to Hocus Pocus in 1969. 
They changed it again in 1970, but finally settled on their permanent band name in 1973. Which band is this, known for hits like Crazy on You, Magic Man, and Barracuda? Oh. It's it's Heart, isn't it? It is Heart. Yay! You're right. Yeah, nice job. All right. Yes, the Wilson Um, sisters. Yes. I'll give credit to my pub trivia team for that one. I nice. did not know that until it came up over and over and over again with me being like, <laughs> I'm not sure. And then being like, it's heart. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of, I mean, yep. I mean, I, I know the, know the few, some of their songs, but yeah, but yeah I always forget their names mm-hmm. but until the Wilson sisters. All right. Uh, you're at 20 points. Question Yay. five. This river rises in the Rocky mountains of Wyoming and flows West through Idaho, through Hell's Canyon on the Idaho-Oregon border, until emptying into the Columbia River at the Tri-Cities of Washington. The Lewis and Clark expedition was the first group of Americans to see it, and they also called it the Shoshone River. Which river is this, familiar to players of the Oregon Trail? Ooh. I mean, I am a player of the Oregon Trail, but I don't remember the river from that um, from the states that you said, I think it might be the Snake River. So I'm going to go with that. And that is a good choice because it is the Snake Yay. River. Well done. It's been a while since I played any Oregon Trail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. I have lost a lot of wagons in the Snake. <sighs> anyway. All right, we're going to the final. You have 30 points. And uh, the final category is simply Secret Theme. Secret theme. All right. You know what? Let's wager all 30 of them. That's probably a really good choice if you haven't already figured out the secret theme. I, I have not, but I I, I mean. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. Here it is. Your final question. Olmec is the name of the big talking stone face in a Nickelodeon game show from the <laughs> 90s. Along with the animals mentioned in each question, the color silver is paired with snakes and a monkey shrine. Uh, Six teams of children tackle obstacle courses and memory tests trying not to get kidnapped by grown men in questionable clothing on what (laughs) millennial childhood staple? Legends of the Hidden Temple. (laughs) Yes. Damn it. (laughs) I I sort of... I, I intuited you might be heading that direction when I was like... This connects to Legends of the Hidden Temple, and you were like, I guess it does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, how do I play this now? Damn do I just it. tell her that that's what it's going to be? Or do I try yeah. to like be like, oh, yeah, like I knew that, but whatever. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. Play cool. I'm not good at playing cool. But yes, it is Legends of the Hidden Temple. It's a Temple. great show. Uh, also, I didn't include the orange iguanas because uh, the orange iguanas are losers. Um, <laughs> also, because it was really hard for me to come up with a question about that related to iguana that wasn't just specifically about iguanas and I mm, yeah didn't, didn't want to have multiple like just straight up animal questions so you got 60 points yay nice job so for those for for listeners at home if you're a little confused the six teams of legends of the hidden temple are the red jaguars the green monkeys the purple parrots the blue barracudas the silver snakes and the orange iguanas mm-hmm. i seem to remember hearing that there's going to be a legends of the hidden temple reboot uh, I believe there was in 2021, but it's like with adults. 
I haven't I haven't watched it. I don't know very much about it. If oh, it yeah. hasn't already happened, then it, it will happen. Yeah, it looks like it has already happened. We had to cut off applications because <laughs> the, the millennials that is, that just is not surprising. kept pouring in. <laughs> oh, man, that's really funny. Oh, it's my people. Yeah. Well, this has been a great delight. And uh, thanks, listeners, uh, for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review if you uh, have a second to write a sentence or two. That helps us a lot. Um, if you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. If you have friends who watch Jeopardy, let them know about our show. Yeah, you can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com. We'll be back with another week of Jeopardy next week. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quick. Bye.